0: Now so you're saying you and your wife did this together? Mm-hmm. I put my hand over her mouth, and I put a pillow over top of her, so she went do it, and then she started to fade away. She's got to hold his feet down, and I'll do, I'll do the stab. My Tyler is the strongest kid, and my Tyler is the quickest kid. And if he got out of the room by
1: chance, you know, it, would, it wouldn't help the situation. She
0: goes, I want you to, to take the pill. I just put it, up, put a pillow, and put it over my head. I said, I don't know if I can do that. And she looked at me and she goes, If you love me, you can do this. I want to be with my babies.
2: From the day in New London, Connecticut, I'm Sten Spinella, and this is Looking for the Tote Family.
0: You know, it's online. I'm I did
1: it. Yeah. This was over with. Yeah.
2: The first two days of Tony Toad's murder trial were rife with the unexpected. We didn't expect to see video of Tony mumbling at the bottom of the stairs while police searched his house, and we were surprised at seemingly significant details, like the family's finances, that were either glossed over or completely omitted. But the most jarring thing to us was how fast the trial was moving. It was like whiplash after the snail's pace two years we waited for it to start. Less than half an hour into the trial's third day, Assistant State's Attorney Danielle Pinnell told the court that the prosecution was finished.
1: We call your next witness. Mm-hmm.
2: Thank you. Tony's lawyers sounded as shocked as we were.
1: Your Honor, we were caught off, off guard by the state resting today.
2: They asked for a delay of several days, but Judge Keith Karsten wasn't having it, and instead granted them a half-hour recess. All right.
0: We have 14 members of the community that are... Uh, present and uh, have been present through each stage of the trial um, mr. tote is uh, represented by a competent and experienced team of attorneys um, the evidence that has been adduced has been in the possession of the defense for multiple years at um, my understanding
3: and the um, I will give the defense a brief amount of
0: time to collect their thoughts. We're going to continue on with this trial today. I'm going to uh, resume court at 10 o'clock, and I will anticipate uh, entertaining any motions. Um, and uh, should the defense uh, care to give an opening statement, we're going to move into the ca- uh, defense's case in chief. Thanks. We'll be in recess for half an hour. Thank you,
2: Judge. After hearing the recording of Tony's detailed confession, we were eager to hear how Tony would try to refute it now that the state's case was finished. The defense had indicated that they planned to call Tony as a witness, and knowing what we know about Tony, his decision to testify was ultimately unsurprising. We didn't have to wait long to hear from him given the brevity of his defense's opening statement.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, the jury, uh, we chose to make a, our opening statement to defer it until this time. Some lawyers like to talk about what they expect the evidence will show, but I will talk to you briefly about what I believe the evidence has shown so far.
2: Fifteen seconds into public defender Robert Wesley's opening statement, Pinnell interrupts with an objection. After a short conference with Judge Karsten, Wesley continues but doesn't say much other than congratulating the jury for taking notes.
1: Yeah, there was a great innovation probably five or six years ago to allow jurors to take notes in cases, and that's very helpful because I've seen that you've been studiously applying, making notes, to remind yourself of what evidence you heard. The um, The presentation has been difficult for you, I think, and it's been a case that has not been necessarily fun, but we're going to keep going now and call, if we may, your own, after Tote as our witness.
2: At last, and without much fanfare, it was Tony's turn.
1: Please identify yourself. My name is Anthony John Tote.
2: To start his testimony, Tony seems like a normal enough guy.
1: And were you, in fact, married to Megan Tote? Yes. When did you first meet her? It was uh, high school of 1992.
2: We see the Tony everyone thought him to be, the guy who met his high school sweetheart in Mottville, who went to college and got his master's and opened up a physical therapy practice.
0: Initially, my wife and I bought the condo in celebration in July of 2005, when we were a traveling physical therapist.
2: Tony and Megan had even more experience in celebration than I ever really considered.
0: Since we sold our initial condo in Connecticut, Uh, we didn't have any deductions. So we bought the condo in celebration as a partial investment and partially primary home because part of our contract with our traveling company is they pay for our residence. So at the current time, they're paying for a rental. Why have the company pay for a rental when they can pay for your actual house and help with your mortgage payments? So we bought the condo in July 2005. When would you like me to continue?
1: Let me ask one thing at this point. What was the status of Megan's health when you first met her? When I first met Megan.
0: Sorry, I just needed
1: to collect myself.
2: Within 10 minutes of being on the stand, Tony starts crying when describing his late wife's health issues.
1: Did there come a time when Megan began to began to have health problems? Yeah about when was the onset of that? March 2011. And what are the conditions that she experienced?
0: We were vacationing (coughs) I apologize. We were vacationing in Florida and we were at a, a theme park and she got hit by a bug.
2: Megan had a host of health issues, too, that Tony traced back to when she was bit by a bug at a Florida theme park.
0: Through um, many trips to the hospital, many trips to the ER, cardiac critical care units, she was diagnosed with a a multitude of diagnoses, I guess you want to say.
2: While we've heard people from Celebration are upset about the tabloid media's nickname for Tony, Disney dad, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it works perfectly.
0: They they found that she had drug induced hepatitis. Sorry. First, I apologize. Let me back up. They diagnosed her with um tonsillar cellulitis. While
2: Tony rattles yeah, off I mean, Megan's health it, issues, which are perhaps point, more numerous and deep seated than we originally realized.
0: Her lymph node was just. Totally enlarged and trouble breathing.
2: I had a thought we've had about this case before. If Megan was so desperately weak and addled with ailments, how did she unilaterally take it upon herself to kill the children? And more importantly, was she even physically capable of doing so by herself? She
0: went from a very strong, vibrant woman to barely holding on to 90 pounds. She couldn't keep weight on, she couldn't breathe. Her heart rate progressively was going crazy.
2: Of course, Tony and his team are trying to show that Megan had reason to want to die beyond this apocalypse predicting religion she purportedly believed in.
1: Did Megan seek other religion ex- religious experiences?
0: Most definitely sir. So.
1: And what was the reason for that? When she got sick. We were under the, motion,
0: under the model of traditional med. That's where we were trained. Medicine helps. Progression of her disease process, we went more alternative. Or she went more alternative, I should say, because we were told to stay away from medications.
2: In fact, Tony indicates that Megan may have come to the religion because of her health failings.
0: Through her yoga practice and her yoga certification, she got introduced to, I guess you want to say an Eastern religion, Buddhist-based, or sorry, Hindu-based. I always thought it was Buddhist, but it was actually Hindu.
2: About 12 minutes into his testimony, we see Tony clearly express frustration to objections from the prosecutor. Her
0: eyes were, at one point, the color of the most fluorescent yellow highlighter you have ever seen in your life. I swear her eyes could- Objection, Meredith.
2: This would continue throughout his testimony.
0: Objection, your lack of medical knowledge.
2: A minute and a half later, he gets haughty about his medical knowledge, the first sign that he would not be able to keep his cool during this portion of the trial.
1: Mr. Toad, what medical training have you received in conjunction with the physical therapy? I I appreciate you asking that, sir.
0: 20 years of medical experience working in the hospital, case review of charts, uh, charts, home care, meaning that not only was I operating under a nurse or with a nurse individually at a house, I was also opening cases on my own, which means I received medical information, medical records from the doctors and from the hospital themselves to be interpreted, to be reviewed and to be deciphered so that I can uh, properly give the appropriate care within their medical limits to the patient.
1: Thank you for that background.
2: He would sometimes be explaining something to the jury and then whip his head around in frustration when Pinnell raised an objection and sensed that he was being
0: interrupted. We hired a, I guess you want to say a mother's helper. Okay? In which to come in, help bring the kids to school, which is something
1: my wife. What I'm going to ask you to do is to try and, and I'll try and correct you so that we don't have long extensions, so it's easier for everyone to understand what we're talking about. I apologize, sir. It's been two years since I've been able to tell my story.
2: Every objection took him out of his rhythm, made him stop what he was saying, and added to his level of frustration.
1: What was the religious group that she had uh, migrated towards, the Eastern religion? Did you ever attend their services with your wife? Or I was very supportive of my wife. I did not understand nor did I follow
0: this religious aspect I was Roman Catholic
2: again I'm bothered by the fact that Tony is the only person to say that Megan was into this apparently Eastern Hindu based religion meanwhile he was a solid then lapsed Roman Catholic this does not track with what he told police that he and Megan were both worshiping this Eastern religion and Catholicism was a distant memory.
1: You mentioned Lyme disease, and that's somewhat prevalent in New England, is that correct? It seems like everybody has Lyme disease, yes.
2: We know this detail doesn't exactly crack the case, but we thought it worth pointing out just how hyperbolic Tony is about Lyme disease in New England. Everyone who works on the podcast lives within 15 minutes of Lyme, and no Lyme disease to be uncommon. Tony talks about it as if it's the common cold. We wondered whether Tony's knack for hyperbole showed up elsewhere in his testimony.
1: What were the parts that appealed to her? And what was she seeking? She was seeking control
0: over her own medical care. Basically, anybody in a chronic illness wants some kind of control of their own self. She went from traditional medicine. She went to realistic uh, religious following of dictating what her health care was. She even followed a book from a guy who listened to a ghost who had no medical experience to tell her what she should be doing, what she should be eating and that kind of stuff called the medical medium.
2: This claim that he didn't follow or understand this religion is such a brazen contradiction to his interview with police. It's astonishing. Not only did he follow it, but he described its primary tenets to detectives in January. I could see why people in celebration and people close to Megan were angered by Tony's letter to his father, putting the blame on Megan.
1: Was there any discussion within that religious group about an afterlife? Yes.
2: In his testimony, he does the same thing verbally regarding a piece of information that his case essentially rests on.
0: I would sit with her during some of these meetings. They would give her prayers to pray whether for to help with what they were talking about with what was called family lineage karma burning. Because as in the Bible, Roman Catholic, the same thing she followed was the fact that your past, um, what's the word, your, your past family's transgressions follow forward multiple generations. So her, as you asked, to, please repeat your question just so I can make sure I repeat correctly.
1: Was there an afterlife component of this re- of this religious practice? Yes, so there was an
0: afterlife component in which each afterlife, she believed that there was reincarnation and as they burned the family karma in the current life, they reached a salvation in which they were reincarnated to a better life.
2: In this same light, the discussion of Megan's father killing himself seems craven as it's not clear what impact this has on the case, aside from implicating that suicide and rash, surprising decisions run in the family.
1: Was there a calamitous event in the life of Megan's parents? Before,
0: before the birth of my first son, in November of 2002, her father hung himself. She was very close with her father.
2: Tony's stated reasons for Megan wanting to kill the family is that she believed in reincarnation and she hoped for better health in the next life.
1: And was her desire to seek better health through this process by going into another life? Better health and better relationships with people who had...
0: abused her and had verbally and otherwise affected her in
1: her life. Were you aware of any suicide note? When I came back to the house that day,
0: she showed it to me, yes. But I had no, no knowledge of it before I came home that day.
2: So Tony tells his attorney he returned home to find his kids had been killed.
0: I came home and my kids were dead. It was the most horrible day of my life. And what I mean more horrible is my wife. in front of
2: He's then asked what I'm wondering, how do you explain your confession to police? His answer doesn't make a whole lot of sense and sounds like excuses he made up on the spot.
1: You saw the video yesterday where on the 15th, Cole Miller and another investigator in a tiny room talked to you at length. Did you have an agenda for that discussion? I don't even
0: remember that day. Last thing I remember was falling down the stairs and smacking my head on the stairs, which I resulted in a fracture on my neck. Next thing I knew, I woke up here. And seeing that video yesterday, I don't even, that was the first time I saw that video. I had no agenda consciously, but I can tell you throughout my relationship with my wife, especially after she got sick, I would put myself as a forefront and take responsibility and protect my wife.
2: Tony describes a horrifying scene of coming home to find his kids dead. But in his confession to police, he painstakingly describes bringing all his kids into the same room after killing them.
1: Why did you say that you... Um, that you performed the knife... the the incisions on the bellies of the children.
0: It goes back to the aspect is I was covering for my wife, obviously unsuccessfully, because as you saw by the video compared to what they said, I had no clue had my kids died.
2: Tony contends that he attempted suicide multiple times in both the police interviews and in his testimony during the trial.
0: I sliced my wrist. I took multiple doses of Benadryl. I tried to hang myself several times. I bought a pellet gun to shoot myself because I couldn't get a gun to, as you call it, eat a gun.
2: He was asking the jury to believe that this part of his police interview was truthful, but the rest, where he confesses to killing the kids and describes how he did it, was not.
1: Did you ever try to um, poison yourself? With Benadryl, yes, and also I was
0: just under recently of medical care and I was given metformin for diabetes. And at one point, I swallowed the whole bottle of metformin.
2: We again hear that Tony didn't see this coming because Megan was pain-free and the day was perfect leading up to the killings.
1: What could have prohibited Megan from killing her children?
0: I have no idea. We woke up that morning, she was pain-free. Everything was good.
2: It's the same story he tells in the letter to his father.
0: I had no knowledge of this. I, I don't know what could have prevented it. I have no idea. And that's the biggest thing that affects me, is the fact that I didn't even see this coming. They say, you know, blindsided. This was a blindside by, like, a Mack truck with filled with dynamite. <laughs>
2: We were unsure of how to take Tony saying he was blindsided because, as he testified and wrote in advance, he had to fly back to Florida from Connecticut multiple times because the kids were scared of Megan's behavior. It sounds like, right here, that he's trying to have it both ways. Here's all the details that blame Megan, but at the same time, I can't be at fault because I was blindsided. Tony also mentions less than 10 minutes later in his testimony that Megan cancels a doctor's appointment because, according to him, she said she had no hope in her life.
0: She had a doctor's visit scheduled for the Thursday after Thanksgiving, forgive me, I do not have the date, in which she canceled because she had said there's no hope, There's there's nothing more that can be done.
2: In the letter to his father, he says the same and refers to it as a red flag. So now we have Tony blindsided while also taking note of all of these red flags.
1: Was the, um, the person who was thought to be the leader of this Indian or Eastern Indian um, religious group uh, called Gari. That was one of them, yes.
0: That was the primary one, yes.
2: We couldn't figure out exactly the religion Tony was referring to. It sounded something like Gari. But he does provide the name of a leader that Meghan allegedly worshipped, Mirabai, which we think is a Hindu saint from the 16th century.
0: After she got sick in 2011, she progressed 2012-2013 to Gowrie and Mirabai.
2: To me, this doesn't seem to lend credence to Tony's story because the details are too vague. You would think his defense would have this nailed down by now, but they sort of gloss over Meghan's spirituality even though Tony's case hinges on it.
1: And they had individual contact with Megan, would leave messages for Megan and contact her? Yeah, contacts would be
0: via phone, via, um, like I said, the Skype computer thing, Um, FaceTime sometimes.
2: (laughs) We're still only hearing about Megan's spirituality from Tony though he does say that other people in his family were aware of her rumored beliefs.
1: And did they did they contact you or give you information that Megan had crossed over? They didn't tell me directly.
0: They had contacted my sister, and my sister told me that she had a conversation, that Megan was at rest and she crossed over.
2: We're still trying to verify whether Megan has spoken about her spirituality to anybody else.
0: I don't know where that... I I don't understand it, but to hold it in my heart, she crossed over and she's at peace and not suffering. That's all I can hope for.
2: It was difficult to see him crying about his daughter's dollhouse and his Christmas present for her, a bike, because I had to consider the possibility that he was using these symbols to emotionally manipulate the jury.
1: There was a huffy bicycle in a box. Yeah. And were you prepared to assemble that bike? Oh, God, my, my babies.
0: That was to be a Christmas present to my daughter. I hadn't picked up the boys' bikes yet because the boys <laughs> were some of my best friends, and I could never say. I went over there that night to. Ask your next question, Mr. Wesley. Did you open the box? Did you assemble the bike? I never made it there to assemble the bike. That's where I went that night, to assemble that bike.
2: For the most part, Tony's testimony seems to follow the version of events that he laid out in his letter to his father. But this detail about Zoe's bike is a new one. In the letter, he said he went to the condo intending to do some maintenance, but never mentions a bike. He writes that Megan asked him to fix the alarm sensor on the back door and to go to the condo to get Zoe's Mickey Mouse necklace, even telling him we would really appreciate it and that Zoe is driving her nuts about it. He said he had some maintenance tasks to do at the condo and that he would spend the night there or at the garage apartment. It's as if the bike is a detail he included exclusively for the trial to try to seem more sympathetic to the jury.
1: Did you and your wife buy gifts and have gifts ready for Christmas for your children? Yes, some of those gifts were ours. New bed set, uh, um, not bed set, I
0: apologize. New vey cover and sheets and all that kind of stuff the boys picked up. There was even a a dollhouse that we picked up for my daughter. It was her first dollhouse. And there was also presents there from the family that had been sent down, yes.
2: I should point out that Tony's attorney, Robert Wesley, Didn't seem to have much rhyme or reason to the order of his questions. Perhaps it was because Tony's rambling threw him off track. Whatever the case, it did at least make sense that he asked Tony if he killed his family as his last question.
1: Mr. Toad, did you kill your family? No. Thank you, Robert.
2: After about 45 minutes of direct questioning, Tony is cross-examined by Pinnell.
3: In December of 2019, what was Megan's medical conditions?
0: Megan's medical conditions consisted of neck pain, back pain, hypothyroidism, Lyme disease, heart rate issues, breathing issues.
2: Within two minutes of her questioning, Tony was already looking at Pinnell with disdain.
3: Did Megan's medical condition make it hard for her to walk?
0: At times, yes, but she hit it very well.
2: His tears and his emotional appeals disappeared and were replaced by anger.
3: So, going back to the date that you remember coming home to your family being gone, how was Megan walking that day?
0: She was walking fine. She had woken up pain-free the day before because she had told me that the light had interceded and the light had enabled her to do so.
2: Only three minutes in, he was notably patronizing to Pinnell.
3: You said that... Megan had gotten diagnosed with Lyme disease as a teen.
0: That was her initial diagnosis. That's correct. and that She had exacerbations. Like I had told you before, the diagnosis... My
3: question was a yes or no question. Let me ask my next question. Well, allow me to elaborate. My question was a yes or no question. That's fine. Thank you, madam.
2: His confidence, even arrogance about his medical expertise, became grating.
3: What kind of work did you do for Megan?
0: did myofascial release, craniosacral, any type of relaxation that... My apologies, ma'am. Manual therapy in which I was trained under. Different things I would go to school for or continuing ed for in to help treat her. Stuff I've read about, stuff I've gone through, everything within my scope of practice.
3: I'm asking you what you specifically did. So if you were going to treat her, what were the different things that
0: you did? That's what I'm trying to explain to you.
2: Tony makes sure to emphasize that he and Megan, we, he says, had a physical therapy practice in Connecticut.
0: You
3: still had a practice up in Connecticut at the time, We right? had a
0: practice in Connecticut, that's correct.
2: Although he doesn't mention it explicitly, I thought back to when he blamed Megan for the alleged healthcare fraud as well in the letter to his father from prison.
3: Isn't it correct that you would travel during the week up to Connecticut?
0: That's correct, as long as my wife's issues and her wife's, my wife's health Dictated such. There were times in which I would literally land and I would get a phone call from my son or my wife that things are bad and I'd hop on the first flight back. Did
3: that happen often?
0: It happened quite a bit.
2: No longer is Megan the sweet, loving mother as she's been described by everyone we've spoken with, including Tony. She is now a monster who was ripping shelves off the wall.
3: And when you say things were bad, is this mentally, physically, what are you talking about?
0: All the above, from the miscarriage and bleeding, to the fact of her ripping the shelves off the wall and my boy was scared, to her breaking the dishes, to her not being able to get out of bed.
2: Panel goes away from Megan's medical woes and moves to Tony's claims about her newfound spirituality.
3: At what point in time did Megan begin seeking other religion um, alternatives?
0: In what regards, in what capacity do you speak of, ma'am?
3: You indicated that she initially was Catholic with you mm-hmm. and that she sought other religious alternatives. Well, when me, did
0: she do that? Let me correct your chronology, if I may, may. She came back and got confirmed because we were going to get married in a Catholic church. She was not a, a, a practicing Catholic at the time, except for going here and there and practicing Easter. Okay? When she got her yoga certification, she got introduced to this new gallery through one of the things. That was in... When? That was in 2009.
2: Pinnell seems less focused on the details of Megan's beliefs and more on the timeline, establishing that Tony had been aware of Megan's evolving beliefs for more than 10 years.
3: Going to the day that this happened, that um, you said you came home, where were you coming home from?
0: I had decided with my wife's conversation the night before that I would take the opportunity to go over, do some maintenance issues of the condo, and to put together my daughter's bike.
2: Pinnell's questions about the night of the murders are also largely focused on this timeline.
3: Did you leave the night before or in the morning? The night before the morning of what, ma'am? When you came
0: home and said you found your children dead. I left the night before. After dinner. When? After dinner. What time? Ma'am, I was on vacation. I don't know the time.
2: It's a little hard to understand what she's getting at. It almost seems like she's trying to confuse and or annoy Tony.
3: Did you, you said it was your job to clean the kitchen. Did you clean the kitchen? No.
0: So leftovers, we throw stuff away. There's nothing to clean.
3: Okay, so you didn't clean any.
0: I don't understand
3: what your job is to clean the kitchen.
0: Pots, pans, that kind of stuff. Nothing was there because we didn't cook. We had leftovers. Okay. Okay. Uh, what's it called? Um, hummus toast. Okay. They had hummus toast.
2: Tony's description of that night tracks closely with the letter to his father. He drove the van to the condo and walked back to retrieve his tools. He then plays basketball with the boys.
3: So, what happens after you play basketball?
0: I told the boys it was getting late. Megan had told me that she wanted to go to bed early that night because everybody had just gotten over the Christmas uh, sorry the, the stomach bug and didn't want to be sick for Christmas. Okay. So I said, going to your mom. I'm going. Good night. You know, I'm going over. Just remind mommy, I won't be home. I'll either be sleeping in the the condo or the, um, what's it called? The studio apartment above the garage because I was a bowl in a china closet.
2: Tony sometimes uses the exact phrases he used in his letter, like bowl in a china closet. It seemed to confirm our worst suspicions more than a year ago when we thought the letter was something of a rough draft for his testimony.
3: So you carry the utility bag and you walk over to the condo, right?
0: I walk over to the van, that's correct. So you walk to the van? What do you do with the van? I realized the phone, what I realized it wasn't the phone, it was an iPod, that was lacking the charge. So I went in, knowing I didn't have a charger up up in the condo, I had a car charger. So I sat in there, decided to take a rest because I was exhausted as I charged the phone.
2: Tony repeats his alibi from the letter that he fell asleep in the parked van and spent the whole night there.
0: So how long were you
3: sleeping in the van?
0: I woke up by the sunshine the next morning.
3: So you slept the entire night in the van?
2: Depending on your point of view, this is either too ridiculous to be true because who accidentally sleeps all night in the driver's seat of a minivan, or it's too ridiculous to be made up. If you were going to lie about your whereabouts, wouldn't it be more plausible to say you slept in the condo? Did
3: you ever go inside
2: the condo?
0: Nope, never made it up there. Because I woke up and realized the sun was up, so obviously it was later than the four o'clock, I usually woke up to treat my wife, and I didn't want to be in the doghouse, but with her waking up and being in pain and me not being there and not being able to provide for her.
2: During an exchange about Tony encountering Megan when he returns to the house, Pinnell shoots back at him when his continued frustration crosses a line.
3: Well, you're standing at the bottom of the stairs looking up at Megan at the stairs. You can't see the doors to the library?
0: Ma'am, can you see that gentleman back there?
3: Mike, you don't ask me questions. I ask you questions. Can you see the door to the library when you're standing at the stairs looking up at Megan? No.
2: Tony's hostility toward Pinnell, necessitating that she dress him down, couldn't have looked good to the jury.
3: You're engaging with Megan and what is Megan's demeanor? Not what she says, what is she doing and how does she
0: appear to you? She's standing at the top of the stairs. She has tears in her eyes and said, you're alive.
2: Tony says he went to Zoe first in both his confession to police and in his testimony. Although in his confession, he kills her. And on the stand, he
0: finds her dead.
3: So when you get into Zoe's room, what do you see?
0: There's a pillow on her head, there's a hand, and there's covers on top of her. She's laying on her mattress on the floor. The mattress is on the floor. She's laying on her mattress. What do you do? I went over to her. I uncovered her her mouth, uh, Uncovered her face with a pillow. She had told me that she had stabbed the kids. So, of course, I look for blood, I look for anything, look for any sign of life. It was nothing. I turned back to her and said, I thought you stabbed her. She says, I thought I did. I didn't know. It bounced off of her.
2: This conversation with Megan, which is not in the letter, sounds a little strange, like he's adding a detail to correspond with the medical examiner's testimony about not finding evidence of a stab wound on
0: Zoe.
3: After you discover Zoe, what do you do?
0: I went to the bathroom and picked up a washcloth.
2: Tony describes, as he does in the letter, washing each of the children's faces.
0: So, after you see Alec, do you go downstairs to Tyler? No, I actually do the same thing with the washcloth. His eyes were open and his mouth was gently slack, looked uncomfortable. Normal father thing is to relax their head and relax, and I was just providing them comfort. Okay.
2: Asked why he didn't call anyone at any point during this, Tony tells Pinnell it was because he didn't have a phone.
0: Were there other phones in the house? There were other possessions of phones in the house, but Megan hid them and would not tell me where she hid them.
3: So it's your testimony that you could not have called anybody?
0: That's correct. I didn't have a phone.
3: And it's daylight, right?
0: Yep.
2: It seemed to me that each progressive explanation of Megan's demeanor leading up to and during the killing of the kids becomes more dramatic.
0: Megan was standing there trying to plead with me to talk. She kept bringing up the story of Thomas, the disbeliever, because she wanted me to believe what she was doing.
2: Each telling from Tony ratchets up the drama.
3: And you said that the knife was in her abdomen. Yes. When you came
0: out of the bathroom. Yes. What'd you do? Um, I stood there in shock. And I said, what the hell are you doing? And at that point, she says, I'm doing what I did to the boys. I'm trying to get my inferior vena cava.
2: This is another exchange with Megan that's a little hard to believe. Inferior Vena Cava doesn't exactly roll off the tongue in casual conversation, and it's difficult to imagine someone with a self-inflicted knife wound describing in scientific terms the vein she was trying to cut.
0: Did you go for help? I went over to my wife and pleaded for her to tell me where the phones were. She asked me not to leave her. She did not leave the boys. So my question is, did you go for help, yes or no? The answer is no.
3: After Megan dies, how long, what do you do? What do you do?
0: Well, we skipped over quite a bit there. I don't know if you want to go through everything or not. What did you do after Megan died? What did I do? I yelled out the window to see if anybody was around to help. There was some weird sound coming from her mouth. I thought she was breathing. I started CPR after I wiped her mouth off with that gray pillow.
2: After Megan stabs herself, Tony says he yelled out the window for help. He made no such mention of that moment in the letter to his father.
0: We liked the house rental because there was no one around. Neighbors weren't there. Most of the neighbors around us were snowbirds. If I left her, I thought she was gonna die. I thought in my decision-making, the best chance was for her to tell me where the phones were.
2: He then said he didn't go to neighbors because they weren't there, as they were snowbirds, or people who only come to Florida when it's winter. Confusing to say the least, since this happened around Christmas time, which is prime snowbird season. Also, why yell out the window if the neighbors aren't home?
3: What do you do after Megan dies?
0: Like I said, I yell out the front window of our bedroom for anybody. Help, 202, please. I don't know where the phones are.
2: One question that Pinnell never asked is where Tony eventually found the phones. There were multiple phones visible in the crime scene photos, and he told detectives he left one at a Starbucks in Sarasota. Did
0: you go to Sarasota? No. There was no way I could drive to Sarasota.
3: Did you leave your phone at a Starbucks in Sarasota? If I didn't go to Sarasota, I didn't leave my phone. So you're denying that you went to Starbucks? In Sarasota? In Sarasota, that's correct. And you, so you never went to the beach in Sarasota?
0: Nope. It was over two hours away. There was no way I could drive.
2: As someone who lived in Sarasota for a short period of time in 2019, I've been fascinated by this detail of Tony's phone being found in a Sarasota Starbucks. Why did he go to Sarasota? He admits to police that he went, but doesn't have an apparent reason as to why. To complicate matters, he tells Pennell, while on the stand, that he never went to Sarasota. She insinuates he went to the beach there. He denies that too. We're left grasping for answers to another potentially meaningless question.
3: You spoke about the note that was left. That's correct. And you told law enforcement that you printed it after Megan's death. Correct. And you testified here today That that wasn't true.
0: That's correct.
2: Tony told Detective Miller that he and Megan wrote this note together and that he printed it from his phone after Megan had died. But on the stand, he says that Megan wrote this note on her own and then gave it to him.
0: The initial note was the one I didn't print out. The note I found in my pocket after, which is the note Meg printed out, that I found in my pocket after I urinated myself, in the in the garage after one hallucination and drank what I thought was coffee but I'm pretty sure it was motor oil. I went into the house stripping and found the note in my pocket. Which note? The note Megan had left. What was on that note? On that note was essentially I didn't read this note, but from what I recall, it said we did it to the family, which she referred to as family lineage. I had a different relationship, a different definition of family and the other thing was where she wanted her ashes. At the bottom of that note, it said, Tony, I love you forever. Please forgive me.
2: According to Tony, this note had a message from Megan that would essentially take credit for the killings and absolve Tony. But we have to take Tony's word for this because the note is never shown or read in court. Also, according to Tony, the note in evidence is not the original.
0: What would you do with it? What I do with that? Yeah. I took it out of my urine-soaked pants and retyped it because I wanted... I wanted my residual family, or my leftover, the family that was alive, to keep the knowledge that we were a family unit. And I wanted my wife to know. I want my wife's wishes known, where she wanted the ashes buried. She wanted to be buried with her father, where we released the ashes at Harkness.
2: Strangely, Pinnell doesn't press Tony on the details of this note maybe because the authenticity of this retyped note is questionable enough on its own or maybe because Tony's story gets increasingly bizarre at this point
3: was Megan's note handwritten or typed it was typed and did you ultimately throw it away
0: i ultimately put it in the fun, there was a fan box in the kitchen i after i typed it and i typed a second one that was all right, sorry when i retyped it there was some errors in it, so I put the urine soaked one and the one with errands in it in that fan box. After I fixed the door with my father in law who died in 2002.
2: It sounds like Tony is describing hallucinations, though he doesn't say this explicitly.
3: You actually, the note that was left on the green chair is something that
0: you actually authored. I actually edited, that's correct.
3: Okay. And you printed it out?
0: That's correct
3: and you left it on the green
0: chair? Actually, I gave it to my mother, who was sitting in the green chair, for her to read. Your mother was there? Oh, my mother was there, my father-in-law died in 2002, my aunt had died in 2013, uh, quite a few people were there.
2: It seems like he's bringing up these hallucinations to try to discredit what he told police in the videotaped interview. But in that interview, he appeared lucid and knew that he didn't really see Megan talking to police.
3: You did see the interview that was played yesterday, right? Correct, I did see the interview.
2: Pennell wields the state's most powerful weapon, Tony's confession, making sure to ask him whether he was telling the truth to detectives. So
3: Everything that you told the detectives, the multiple times that you spoke to them, is not true.
0: Number one? Yes or
3: no? What you told detectives about you conducting the research with Megan, And watching all of these videos on the afterlife is not true, yes or no.
0: I did not watch videos on the afterlife.
2: She emphasizes that Tony confessed to police multiple times, although only one of those confessions was ultimately examined in court.
3: Is it true that the multiple times that you spoke to detectives, that you told detectives that you went into Zoe's room you gathered the courage and you rolled over on top of your daughter until she suffocated. Is't you know, that what you told law enforcement?
0: Is this a yes or no question that you it's want the yes
3: answer? Yes or no question?
0: That is what the video yes showed you.
3: And your testimony here today is that Megan did it.
0: Megan killed Sobey.
2: Pinnell gets Tony to give in to his anger several times more during his testimony.
3: You told law enforcement oh, yeah. well, multiple the video. times that Tyler was fast and he was...
0: You eating. saw the video, and you saw the video also <laughs> of saying I said things that have been proven incorrect. That's not
3: responsive to my question. Actually, it is. But yes or no.
0: You didn't say yes or no, ma'am. Yes
3: or no. Thank you. Did you tell law enforcement that you had to kill Tyler quickly because he was the fastest?
0: That's what I told you at law enforcement. That is correct. None
2: of his annoyed asides played well from what I was watching.
0: Well, that is you in the video, right? It's a sickly version of me, yes. It's an emotionally disturbed video of me, yes.
3: And that's you talking, right?
0: That is me talking, that's correct. Okay. Thank God I so, didn't tell you I assassinated. No question.
2: They come off as moments of weakness. Once more, Tony says he didn't remember anything after the kids were killed until he got to
0: jail.
3: You actually told this to law enforcement multiple times. It's not just what the video to- told, correct?
0: Ma'am, video, that's what I said. I don't remember anything after I left the house till I got to jail. So I'm refuting, I'm, I'm going on your premise that that video is correct.
2: Pinnell's questions here don't draw out any new information. They just serve to highlight everything that Tony admitted to police.
0: And that at that
3: point in time,
0: you suffocated Breezy and took Breezy's life. That's what the video showed. The truth of the matter is, the only thing I saw... There's was no the... question. You didn't answer yes or no, so I said no.
2: Tony tries to offer explanations, sometimes bordering on combative.
3: Yes or no, it was after this that you told law enforcement that Megan decided that she had to go next, and she stabbed herself, right?
0: I don't know the rules to this question, ma'am. Can you repeat it, please? Sure.
3: Yes or no. The next thing that you told law enforcement happened was that Megan needed to kill herself and she stabbed herself, right?
0: By what the video showed? Yes.
2: Instead of finally being able to tell his story, Tony is boxed in by his confession, leaving him to repeat the only possible answer to the prosecution's questions.
3: Isn't it true that you told law enforcement that at some point you took a pillow and put it over Megan's head until she suffocated. That's what the video showed, yes.
2: During his testimony, I was reminded of Tony's father, Robert Tote, when he was on trial for the attempted murder of his wife almost 40 years ago. He also took it upon himself to take the stand. In our conversations with Pennsylvania judge Alan Rubenstein, who was the district attorney who worked to convict and ultimately convicted Robert, He always said he was unsurprised, if somewhat giddy, that Robert decided to take the stand. He knew he could use that decision by Robert, which he described as arrogant and perhaps made with hubris, as Robert was too confident in his own charisma. It's tempting to look at Tony in the same light, but for the first half of his testimony, Tony mostly held his own. Sure he was thrown off track by Pinnell a few times and he tended to ramble, but he managed genuine tears and it was difficult to disbelieve the care he had for his kids. But soon, the folly of his decision became clear. Whether through desperation or hubris, Tony has told us at the podcast multiple times that he will be declared innocent. Again, whether he'd barely convinced himself of his ultimately incorrect prediction, he was absolutely certain of it tony's hubris shone through in his decision to take the stand we admittedly scoffed at his make-believe or rock-solid claim of confidence how do you know you'll be found innocent maybe like his father four decades before him tony was most confident in his ability to talk to the jury to make them see him as a good guy and i have to admit Maybe the only way Tony could refute his confession was by offering himself up for questioning. But his angry breakdowns at Pinnell's repeated pestering did not bode well for him. Instead of assuring the jury of his harmlessness, he convinced them of his capacity for harm. As we will see, the results of the trial, possibly decided by Tony's irrational confidence, defied his expectations. next time on the final episode of looking for the Tote family we come to the close of the trial we hear again from people close to the case and we reveal the content of the family suicide note if you haven't already please subscribe to looking for the Tote family on your favorite podcast app and don't forget to rate the show find us on facebook twitter and instagram Looking for the Tote Family is hosted and reported by Sten Spinella, produced by Peter Huapi and Carlos Virgen, written by Sten Spinella and Peter Huapi, editing by Peter Huapi, and music by Carlos Virgen. Tim Cotter is our executive editor, and Isaskun Larnietta is our managing editor. This has been a production of The Day in New London, Connecticut.